listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another special report from the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi, the co-host of Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. And we are podcasting uh, from the Clio Cloud Conference in Chicago. And uh, I am about to speak now with uh, Carolyn Elephant. Uh, Carolyn Elephant is, I'm sure, well known to many of our listeners as the founder of MyShingle.com, kind of the voice of the solo lawyer in the legal profession. Um, Carolyn uh, has written MyShingle.com for, what's it been? Since 2002, I'm thinking off the top of my head, because you and I started our blog at almost the same time. I'm younger than yours. <laughs> I older, older. No, I'm behind you, so younger. Yes, yeah. younger, yeah. And, of course, you practice law in Washington. So welcome to Legal Talk Network, Carolyn. Thank you. Carolyn, you just gave uh, a keynote speech here, and you talked about uh, what can make solo, how law, solo attorneys can make their practices sustainable and why it matters. So... What's, what's sort of the, the top-level uh, advice that you're offering? I mean, why, why does this matter? Let's, let's start with that. Why do we want to talk about how solos can make their practices sustainable? Are they, are they threatened right now? I, I do think there's a threat to solos. I think that a lot of the uh, sort of alt-law or new-law websites that we're seeing from LegalZoom, Rocket Lawyer, I think do pose a threat, um, and maybe not an immediate threat. I think it's for two reasons. They have a lot of money, and so they have wide visibility. And they also, even though they may not provide the best tools now, uh, they are continuing to improve them. And so I think that eventually they can um, aggregate buyers groups to, you know, hire lawyers, to force lawyers to discount services. I think they can provide services that substitute for lawyers and um, just create a situation where, you know, legal fees go down to a point that it isn't sustainable anymore to be a solo or a small firm. Well, those those operations like LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer have the advantage of, you know, economies of scale, I guess. How, how does a solo compete with that? Well, I think there are a couple of things that um, solos and small firms can do. I mean, I think one of the most important things, um, as I talked about in the, um, in the talk, is not to try to compete directly, almost do the opposite of what those companies are doing. So they serve very generic populations. One thing solos and smalls can do is distinguish themselves by carving out a niche that isn't served by one of those companies. Um, I think that's one way that they can compete. Can you give an example of that? Um, so the example I gave in the talk is, you know, these companies have sort of generic business services. Um, as a solo, you can represent women-owned businesses. It raises a lot of different issues. There's like women uh, certifications or, um, you know, women-owned contracts doing compliance issues for that in addition to the incorporation services. So I think that that's, you know, one potential market. I mean, really anything that um, is somewhat niche or specialized, will planning, for uh, LGBT couples or um, services for single parents, um, you know, all of those types of services are provide present legal issues that many of the generic sites don't um, don't serve. Where's 
the competition for its solo lawyers? Is it coming from larger firms? Is it coming from those companies like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer? I do think there is strong anecdotal evidence that lawyers um, who provide more general practices are starting to experience competition from LegalZoom. I know there are many attorneys who do um, you know, simple estate planning and trusts, and the first thing clients ask when they come into their office is, why shouldn't I use LegalZoom? Because your service costs twice as much. And so I think attorneys need to be able to come up with a response to that. And I think um, one way that they can come up with a response is to just um, speak about confidentiality, being able to keep information confidential. I think a second thing that they can do is to, instead of treating a will or a trust as sort of a one-off, a product that you provide and give to a client is to tell them that, you know, laws are always changing. We keep you up to date. You know, we have, a, you know, continue to um, get in touch with you every year and let you know what changes need to be made. So I think that's like sort of another um, advantage that uh, they can provide. I think there are a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of other different things that lawyers can do. And I think there are solutions, but I think that people have to think proactively. They're not going to be able to compete on price. Well, I, I want to ask you about price because a lot of what you'll hear Rocket Lawyers, the legal zooms of the world say is that they're not competing with lawyers. They're serving the 90% of the population in this country that can't afford a lawyer and that even a solo lawyer, the economies of law practice make it such that even a solo lawyer can't afford to provide affordable legal services. Do you agree with that? Well, I do agree. They definitely have um, initially starting out, those are the markets they've targeted, um, the types of cases lawyers never wanted to handle. So the very small incorporation, you know, like the um, contractor who's starting a lawn mowing service and he wants a little LLC and he's not going to invest a lot of money in it. But I think that the, and, and so to that extent, that's accurate. But I think what we're seeing is we're starting to see an expansion of those services and they're started to, starting to go beyond the smaller fish into areas where solos and smalls are representing clients. And you see, like at LegalZoom, they're starting to offer um, legal uh, legal review of, uh, of materials. So things that are, you know, uh, they're now providing types of services that, you know, again, a more general practice firm might offer to somebody or more, you know, a smaller business firm might offer. And so I think it's the danger. So you see it, it's, uh, it's like the classic, the innovator's dilemma where um, the challenger to the incumbent first takes the stuff that nobody wants and then they move into the areas that they have because they've gathered the money and they have the funding to do that. And so I think that's what we need to watch for. So I think today it really still may not be a significant threat, although, like I said, there is some anecdotal evidence for some lawyers who you know, are still experiencing the competition. But very soon, I think we will see it threatening larger portions of legal services um, that people are paying for and that really can't be provided at much lower cost. Yeah. I know. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at this at all, but you know, Washington, Washington State in particular has recently approved this limited license legal technician program. That's kind of providing an alternative licensed form of law practice in a sense, a less with less education, less training, uh, and less ability to provide services. Other states are looking at that. Uh, do you see that as something that could enhance or that would threaten a solo lawyer practice? I guess the thing that kind of um I wonder about is with so many lawyers unemployed or struggling for business, why the bars would come up with that type of non-licensed provider service. Um, I think that if 
bars were to focus more on ways to help solos and small firms provide those services affordably, come up with ways they can diversify their services, it might be something that lawyers might um, be able to provide. I mean, I think that some of the services that those companies are going to provide may be things that law firms are already providing. And um, I, I just don't know... It's those types of services that do concern me, I think, you know, because having the licensed provider, you know, I think gives people, uh, sometimes gives them a false sense of security. But at the same time, there may be, you know, areas of practice that where they can, um, you know, where they can assist something that a lawyer really wouldn't want to do, like the traffic ticket cases or really, you know, small claims court, those types of things where you maybe want somebody there helping you. But I think like in, um, you know, family law cases, um, things like that. A lot of times if you look at the cost of the non-lawyer provider and you look at the cost of the lawyer and what you're getting with the lawyer and what you're getting with the legal provider, I don't know that there's really that much difference. And they're still going to have to understand the law. They may have to have some type of insurance. So I don't know that that model is necessarily going to be more viable, except that you can, you know, aggregate it under under one roof and maybe have, you know, other economies of scale. What about bar associations? I mean, you said they bars should perhaps be doing more to make make it viable for for solos to provide affordable legal services. What more could could bars or should bars be doing? Well, like I said, I mean, the first thing is is that it's just solos are so mired in regulation. It makes it very difficult for them to figure out ways to expand their practice and just being able to um, compete put up a website that would look as nice as a legal Zoom site or be competitive, it violates a lot of different bar rules. You know, it might violate a rule on testimonials or trade names or calling yourself an expert. And I don't really think there's a need for those rules to govern attorneys anymore. I mean, there's so much information available on the internet for clients to be able to get information. I don't really think they serve a protective function. They really just keep clients from looking at lawyers and going to these non-legal sites. Um, I also, I talk a lot about getting rid of trust accounts. Um, I don't, again, if you're doing transactions with credit cards, I don't think a trust account is really as necessary. I mean, lawyers, uh, clients or consumers find a lot of protection just buying on credit card. Most people use credit cards now instead of checks. So I think that also gives some protection and makes things much easier for lawyers to, you know, increase cash flow and also just innovate with different types of services. Yeah, I mean, that that's sent up a, a kind of a, 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 yeah. a red flag for me only because I'm, I'm so concerned about IOLTA funds in this country. If you get rid yes. of trust accounts, IOLTA funds have become such a critical source of funding legal services in this country. Does that bother you at all, or would you see an alternative source for funding legal services if the trust accounts go away? Yeah, maybe the alternative source is big firms. I don't understand why legal services always it always comes back to solos and smalls. Solos and smalls serve a large part of the population that already can't afford um, legal services from larger firms. They also give away a lot of services. They, you know, they cut their rates, and yet. Now in the legal crisis, souls and smalls are expected to do even more. The legal incubators that are set up around law schools, what do they focus on? Incubate, you know, low low bono services. With well, something like IALTA, why are we, you know, I mean, solos and small firms um, tend to have these client trust accounts. Many large firms don't necessarily put, I, I don't know, maybe they do put money into trust, but I think that um, even though there is a threat to IALTA, 
it's still, it's not something that should come at the risk of, of jeopardizing solos and small firms from, from their survival. I think we have to make a choice. It makes more sense to have a robust arm of solo, you know, segment of solo and small firm practitioners who are providing legal services across the board. I mean, IALTA funds still aren't going to pay for lower middle income people or for middle class either. So um, in terms of addressing the other pro bono needs, maybe it's that uh, larger firms should pay a bigger share. Large firms get away with satisfying pro bono requirements with these impact cases, sending people to Argentina to, you know, to, to do legal services, and that's like how they meet their pro bono. I mean, why not you know, take all the money and all those partner hours and, and put that into the, into the legal fund? And there are, I mean, there are firms, to be fair, I mean, the firms like Skadden, they um, have all of these uh, scholarship types of programs or equal justice funding programs, but um, I mean, that's another way to, that's sort of an alternative to you know, these IALTA accounts. Yeah. Uh, one of the speakers here yesterday was Richard Susskind, the, yeah. the, the futurist who has said that you know he's concerned about the future of the solo and small firm. What immediate steps should solo lawyers be doing to make sure their practices are sustainable? What, what are the most important things they start to do? Well, I think, I mean, they certainly need to come into the 21st century and uh, they need to be able to accept credit cards, um, have people maybe schedule appointments online, uh, you know, be able to uh, have a way to engage people uh, more quickly, um, digitize documents, go into the cloud. I mean, just sort of prepare themselves for dealing with the 21st, uh, dealing in the 21st century. I mean, I think those things are um, are very important, and then you know, undertaking sort of longer-term changes to make sure that their practices can stay sustainable or competitive. This is a cloud conference. What's what's the role mm. of cloud computing in the sustainability of the solo and small firm? Well, I think that um, when you have your documents in the cloud, you just open up a lot of different um, different options. And so sustainable, to the extent that sustainable means that your firm should be able to operate when you're not there, either because you have retired, gone to a beach, gone on vacation, the cloud just allows you to really, with the click of a button, pass your documents on to somebody else, bring somebody else on board to take your place, to run your firm while you're gone. It just makes things so much easier than um, than paper transactions. And so I think that if you're thinking in the long term and you have your documents in the cloud, it just gives um, many more options. The the idea kind of came up during your speech. I forget whether you raised it or somebody in the audience raised it. Of sh- should there be uh, an organization representing solo attorneys in this country? Sh- should there be? Do solos need their own kind of advocacy or their own bar association? I do think solos and smalls need it, but I don't think they realize that they need it. I mean, I have thought like through my site about doing something like that through my shingle, but unfortunately, a lot of solos and small firms are still very wedded to the bar associations thinking that they are helping to promote their interests, and sometimes they are, but I think that, you know, as uh, technology becomes more pervasive, we are seeing sort of really a very big difference between what is important for big firms and what's important for solo and small firms. And I think the interests are very divergent. Ultimately, big firms want outside ownership. They want to be able to attract outside investment. And I don't know whether that is necessarily the best solution for solos and smalls. So eventually, if the bars are going to make a choice, they may you know, start advocating for outside investment. And I don't think that's something that would necessarily serve solos and smalls. It's probably counter to the interests of smalls, I would think, because... It then allows organizations to create 
you know, sort of fun, like the Walmarts of the legal profession. That kind right, of and it's like it's like that exactly in in the medical profession where you see. I mean, there's just all these um, stories recently about how. Nobody really wants to be sort of the country doctor, the you know individual doctor. It's just too difficult to compete with the HMOs. You're always on call. Um, just the the paperwork associated with you know trying to keep track of you know all of the, the the billing issues. It's just it's really hard for them to be sustainable. And yet it's very important. Some people want to have that really personal relationship with their doctor. Some people want an independent opinion that's not governed by you know what type of care the insurer says they will be willing to pay for. So, um, and I think it's even more important in the legal profession. Yeah. While I have you here, let me just ask you about myshingle.com. Is there anything uh, anything new going on there? Any new plans for Well, we are finally, we are coming into the 21st century. The site is not mobily optimized. So right now I'm working on um, an upgrade with that to make it um, mobily optimized. Um, probably be thinking about um, putting out uh, a few we have right now something called the 21st century uh, retainer agreement that shows how the representation agreement can be updated to reflect a lot of these different trends that we see in 21st century practice and so that's been very popular and it's something that really isn't offered anywhere else so maybe some other development of products or services like that to serve these solos and smalls that are forward looking and future driven yeah and it's just to kind of wrap up what's sort of how, how would you kind of wrap up your own talk. I mean, what's the takeaway regarding sustainability for smaller firms? What message do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I think, first of all, that lawyers really cannot assume that just because they have a criminal practice, criminal defense practice or a litigation practice or they do high-end estate planning, that they're going to be around for the long haul. I think that they have to realize that you know some of their services um, may be threatened or, um, you know, where people may be coming up with alternatives to this. So I think people just have to be aware. And I think lawyers should also really welcome the opportunity to innovate in their practice. It's technology is giving us a lot of opportunities, giving us opportunities to serve clients more efficiently and also more effectively. And I think that's very exciting. And to be able to look at different ways that you can deliver those different levels of service is something that, you know, solos and small firms should be excited about taking advantage of and should go out and start doing. Well, Carolyn Elephant, it was a great talk today, and thank you for taking the time to be with us here for the, mm-hmm. at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.